text for this morning's sermon is Ephesians 4, verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, we live in a society that preaches tolerance as one of its supreme values. Yet our society is increasingly intolerant towards the Christian faith. Those who speak up in the public square about Christian values are mocked and ridiculed. Just consider how the leader of the Conservative Party, Andrew Scheer, was vilified for his so-called social conservative values. Many didn't like the fact that he personally believes that life begins at conception. He was labeled as being anti-women, even though he's married and raising a family. In our culture, there's a lot of propaganda about climate change. Now, we all agree that we should be good stewards of the earth that God has given us. Yet the proponents of climate change have introduced hysteria into the discussion, causing many people to fear for the future. Catherine McKenna, the Minister of the Environment, made a statement earlier this year that the world will end in 12 years unless we make massive reductions to our emissions of carbon dioxide. The scientific data does not clearly show if there is sustained global warming. And it certainly doesn't prove that man's use of fossil fuels is the leading contributor to this. But if you dare enter into the debate in the public square, you're quickly labeled as a climate change denier. Some of society's most stringent attacks are against those who do not support the LGBTQ agenda or transgender rights. If people hear that you are Christian and that you oppose same-sex relationships as being unbiblical, you immediately get labeled as being homophobic. ARPA's recent presentation showed how a street, a street preacher in Toronto was arrested for preaching the gospel. Through time, he was working his way through each of the 22 districts that make up the city of Toronto. One day, he was in the village, an area where many LGBTQ people congregate. He was preaching the message of John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he sent his only son, so that whoever believes in him will be saved. He never said anything about homosexuality. Yet when crowds formed around him, he was arrested by seven police officers for criminally causing a disturbance. Our society is not very tolerant of the Christian worldview. Despite the world's claims that we need to be tolerant of all, it's not at all tolerant towards us. In fact, the world's views towards tolerance itself have changed. 
According to Webster's Dictionary, tolerance means to allow or to permit, to recognize and respect others' beliefs and practices without sharing them, or to bear or put up with someone or something not necessarily liked. Tolerance then involves three things. One, permitting or allowing. Two, a conduct or point of view one disagrees with. While three, respecting the person in the process. Historically, our culture has emphasized a tolerance of all people. We respect those who hold different beliefs than our own by treating them courteously and allowing their views a place in the public discourse. We might strongly disagree with their perspectives and vigorously debate with them in the public square. We still showed civility and respect. Historically, our society has not tolerated all behaviors. A person may believe what he likes, but he may not behave how he pleases. Some behavior is immoral or against the common good. There is no right to do wrong. Today, in our increasingly postmodern world, tolerance is viewed differently. Tolerance is equated with neutrality. Everyone is permitted to decide for himself. People talk about my truth and your truth, making everything relative. Tolerance today is allowing each person to do what he wants. As a result, there's no room left for any absolutes. Thus, tolerance in our culture does not include allowing a discussion of differences with civility and respect. If you disagree with what someone else believes or does, you get labeled, you get shut down. So what's our response, beloved, to, those, to these developments in our society? Do we try to engage in discussions with those in society around us? Do we dare to enter the public square and present a different perspective from the ungodly perspectives being promoted all around us? Or do we just shut up and try and live quiet and peaceable lives? I think it's wrong for us to remain silent. The perspectives of our modern culture are ruinous. They're destroying the lives of so many people. We have a task to engage, to share the gospel and the freedom it brings with those around us. But how are we to do that? That's what we're going to look at in our sermon this morning. Preach you the word of God under the following theme. In the face of growing intolerance from our culture, we as Christians are to speak the truth in love. God calls us to speak the truth and to speak in love. Paul's letter to the Ephesians can be divided into two parts. In the first three chapters, Paul outlines the glorious gospel of God's grace in Jesus Christ. He shows us the spiritual blessings of believing in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. 
Starting in chapter 4, Paul outlines what our response to the gospel should be. He details how we are to live thankful lives in response to God's wondrous salvation work for us and in us. Paul writes, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Paul calls us to show forth humility, gentleness, patience, and love. In the verses leading up to our text, Paul shows us God has given various office bearers for the equipping of God's people. Paul talks about the need for growth in our lives. The goal is that we grow into mature manhood, that we attain the fullness of Christ. Paul uses the image of a boy growing up into manhood to picture how we need to grow spiritually so the fullness of Christ lives in us. Why was this necessary for the Ephesian Christians? And why is this necessary for us? Paul explains that in verse 14. His desire is that spiritually we will no longer be like children, easily swayed by what anyone says. Paul doesn't want us to be tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. In other words, Paul doesn't want us to buy into every new teaching or philosophy or movement being promoted in our culture. The world is full of false teaching and of distorted perspectives. Some come from the careful planning of smart people. Some even have satanic origins. Paul doesn't want us to be led astray. Instead, Paul wants us to grow in the gospel and in a Christ-centered approach to life. In our text, he writes, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Please notice the goal here, beloved. It is that we grow up into Christ. When you receive a baby from the Lord, you have hopes and dreams for that baby. You'd love to see him or her grow up into a young man or woman who loves and fears the Lord. You'd love for your son or daughter to find joy in life. To find a career that suits their abilities and talents. For them to find a spouse that compliments them. For them to live life well. So also Paul articulates in our text his desire that we as God's children grow up into Christ. That we come to truly know Jesus Christ. That we live in intimate fellowship with him. That we know the truth and live according to it. That we're able to understand and apply the gospel to our daily lives. That we truly want to live God-pleasing lives. That we understand that living for Christ will require sacrifices and even suffering. But nevertheless, that we're committed to Jesus Christ. Because we understand that comfort, joy, peace, and hope can only be found in him. 
Now, as part of living the Christian life, Paul calls us to speak the truth in love. Paul doesn't just address this in Ephesians 4.15. He comes back to it in verse 25, saying, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. And again in verse 29, saying, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Why is Paul so opposed to falsehood and to corrupting talk? Why does he emphasize the need to speak the truth? We need to understand, beloved, the origins of truth and of falsehood. Falsehood and falsehoods and lies find their origin in the devil. In John 8, 44, Jesus describes Satan as being a liar and the father of lies. Satan used lies to tempt our first parents, Adam and Eve, to eat of the forbidden fruit and to fall into sin. He used the lie to bring mankind into bondage in sin. Satan continues to use lies and deceit to hold many in slavery. Today, there are millions who are caught up in Satan's lies. For many people, the truth about God has been distorted. They don't know God or serve him. Instead, they've bought into Satan's message that they can find satisfaction and pleasure in the things of this life, in money and possessions, in a good job, a comfortable life, a career, in sex, in alcohol, in drugs and whatever this life offers. And in the postmodern world in which we live, the situation has become even worse. Satan has convinced many people there's no such thing as objective truth. Everything is relative. Something that's true for me may not be true for you. People around us tell us, you can't say the Bible teaches homosexuality is wrong. Because while it may be true for you, it isn't for me. I'm happy living in a same-sex relationship. After years of struggle, I finally found some happiness in my life. Or they say, you can't say God created man male and female. My reality is that I'm a woman trapped in a man's body. In today's world, everything is relative. There's no such thing as objective truth. People's feelings determine their reality. But is that really true? When you look at the abortion debate, a woman's either expecting a baby or she's not. She can't be pregnant and not pregnant at the same time. You can argue about whether or not a woman has a right to control what happens with her body, i.e. whether or not she should have an abortion. But you cannot deny the fact that she's expecting a child. Biologically, people are born male or female. 
except in very rare cases where their sexuality cannot be fully determined at birth. Females are born with two of the same sex chromosomes, XX. Males with two different chromosomes, XY. How you feel doesn't change your gender. So the question arises, how do we know what the truth is? How do we know that such a standard exists? Truth finds its foundation in God. God is true. He does what he says. He's faithful. You can count on him. Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Anything that's from God is true. Anything opposed to him is false. Now, God has communicated his truth to us through his word. What God writes to us in the Bible is true. In Psalm 119, the psalmist says, your law is true. A little later, all your commandments are true. Isaiah wrote, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. In the same way, Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Now, obviously, you need to believe that the Bible is true to agree with its claims. But if you agree that what the Bible says is true, then truth gets defined according to what God has revealed, according to his norms. And what this means, beloved, is that there is such a thing as objective truth. Various claims are either true or false. They can't be both. Two different people can't hold opposite views and both be right. Either God exists or he doesn't. An atheist view that he doesn't believe in God doesn't make this into his truth. He may believe it, but he's wrong. Stealing is either right or wrong. It can't be both depending on a person's circumstances. If someone gets lost and is starving and breaks into a lost cabin in the woods to eat and survive, we may feel that that person was justified in doing so. Food can be replaced, life cannot. But ethically, stealing is still wrong. The person who took the food would likely feel obligated to reimburse the person from whom he took it. Why is it important that we distinguish between truth and falsehood? Because truth originates in God, while lying and deceit come from Satan. Knowing the truth and speaking it honestly are foundational for life. 
It's not good for Canada to have an environmental policy based on lies. 62% of our electricity comes from hydro, 16% from nuclear, and only 19% from fossil fuels like coal and natural gas. Shutting down the oil sands would have a negligible effect on reducing worldwide carbon dioxide emissions. Yet it would have a devastating effect on our economy. Yet that's what many people feel should be done based on the climate change agenda. You're not helping children or young people who struggle with feelings that they're a boy trapped in a girl's body or a girl trapped in a boy's body by just pandering to them. A Swedish study of more than 6,000 transgender people found that 41% of them had attempted suicide, while the same survey notes that only 4.6% of the general population had. Society's push to ban counseling from those struggling in their sexual identity is neither loving nor helpful. Such people need help discovering and overcoming the issues facing them in life. What they really need to know is that they're made in the image of God. That security and happiness not, come not from being a different gender, but finding their identity in Jesus Christ. Beloved, we need discernment to understand that the media is bombarding us with man-centered philosophies. Issue by issue, we need to come to a clear understanding of the truth so we can engage those around us in a discussion on issues. Communicate with friends, with classmates or workmates about all these different issues. Write letters to the editor to get a Christian perspective out there in our society. If we don't speak up, we'll lose many of the freedoms we've had in the past. Society will continue to become a darker place if Satan's lies continue to gain traction. More and more people will come under his mastery. They'll face the destruction he has planned for them. This brings us to our second point. And we'll see how God calls us to speak the truth. No, to speak in love. God not only calls us to speak the truth, he also specifies how we are to do that. Our text says that it is by speaking the truth in love that we grow up into Christ. Paul comes back to this in Ephesians 4.29 when he commands, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Thus, when speaking truth with those around us, we are to do so in love. Our words should be a building. They should give grace to those who hear us. It's a really important reminder for us, beloved, when fighting the culture wars, we often end up debating issues with people who are sarcastic, demeaning, and hateful. But those on the other side of the issues don't have much time or respect for a Christian worldview. 
They ridicule us. Anyone who indicates any disagreement with the LGBTQ agenda is labeled as homophobic. Men who argue against abortion are labeled as misogynist or women haters. And beloved, it's hard for us not to respond in kind. Yet as Christians, we have been redeemed by grace in Christ. It transforms who we are. One of the ways we can show that to the world is by being loving and gracious when we speak the truth. This afternoon, we read the last verses of Matthew 5. Matthew 5 is part of what we often call the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5, Jesus addresses the wrong teachings of the Jewish leaders. Jesus presents their teachings by saying, You have heard that it was said. And he responds with, But I say to you. The Jewish leaders taught God's people, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. They made a huge distinction between their fellow Israelites and the Gentiles. According to the scribes and Pharisees, you were required to love those who loved God, but you were allowed to hate those who did not. Yet Jesus opposed their teaching. Jesus did not agree with the narrow-minded, exclusivist, and intolerant attitudes of those around him. Jewish society was divided into a multitude of cliques. Jesus came to break down those barriers. He came so the love of God would be able to flow into the hearts of all people. His love was meant to break down the boundaries of race, of nationality, of party, of class, and sex. And so we see Jesus breaks down this artificial distinction between Neighbor and enemy. The teaching you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy is based on a misunderstanding of who our neighbor really is. Christ made this point clear in the parable of the Good Samaritan. It was not the priest or Levite who helped the poor Israelite who was beaten by robbers and left lying half dead at the side of the road. It was the Samaritan Samaritans were despised by the Jews. Yet the Lord Jesus gets the lawyer to admit it was the Samaritan who showed mercy that was truly a neighbor to the beaten traveler. Jesus then told him, go and do likewise. In Matthew 5, Christ said to the people, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Jesus' point is that just as children often imitate their parents, so we need to follow God's example in how we deal with those who disagree with us. And what's God's example? Jesus refers to the fact that God makes his sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Our Heavenly Father shows forth his favor on all of mankind in providing sunshine and rain and thereby food and sustenance. God does not discriminate by blessing his people 
and cursing those who have rejected him. Beloved, our Heavenly Father went even further than providing mankind with his physical needs. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus showed forth that love during his earthly ministry. He had compassion on those who were burdened with sins or who suffered under the effects of sin. Jesus did not associate with the rich and with those held in high esteem by men, but with the lowly, with tax collectors and sinners. Christ came as a shepherd to gather together the lost sheep of Israel and to minister to them. He continued to show forth love and grace, despite the unbelief and the hardness of heart of many of God's people. Our Lord's love for all of us is seen, that he drank of the cup of suffering that was set before him. Despite all the pain and agony involved, Jesus willingly went the way of the cross. He allowed himself to hang between heaven and earth, cursed by God and rejected by men. And while he hung there, he prayed for those who had crucified him. He said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. He did all that because he loves us, because he wanted to save us from our sins. Our Savior loved us unconditionally, and he calls us to love those around us in the same way. Jesus calls us to show forth that kind of love to all those around us, even to those who oppose us or who persecute us. In Matthew 5, Jesus asked us to examine our attitudes and actions towards those whom we might view as our opponents or our enemies. He said, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Jesus calls us to a higher standard. He said, you must be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. There's nothing special about loving those who love us or greeting our brothers and sisters. The people of this world can show kindness when their affection or interest moves them. Yet as children of our Father in heaven, we need to go further than this. We're to love our neighbor as ourselves. Our neighbor is anyone and everyone that crosses our pathway in life. We're to show forth love to all those whom God puts on our pathway. That's the standard of perfection to which Christ calls us. And so, beloved, when you speak with people around you, you need to do so in the right manner. If you get frustrated or angry, you've lost the argument. Your manner of speaking has put the other person offside. You might win the debate, but you will not win their heart. When we interact with people in society around us, we need to do so with compassionate hearts. 
Many of them have had their eyes blinded by sin and Satan. Something that's abundantly clear to us may be strange and new to them. Be patient and be kind in your discussions. Be gracious in your speaking. Remember, the goal is not to win, the, to win a debate, but to win their hearts. In discussing issues of the people of the world, we need to learn to speak the truth in love. Most people around us are not clear thinkers. They operate out of a different worldview than we do. Many people think that it's perfectly valid for your truth to be different from their truth. Many live with the attitude, if it feels good, do it. We need to show them that such perspectives are ultimately false and that they're life-destroying. How we do that is so important. We need to speak with our neighbor out of genuine concern for his or her well-being in ways that are upbuilding, that are gracious and kind. You see, beloved, even if the world doesn't show tolerance for us as Christians, we can break down walls by the manner in which we communicate. We need to show respect for those who hold different views from our own by treating them courteously. We might strongly disagree with their perspectives and vigorously debate with them in the public square. But we must still show forth civility and respect. We're not going to win the culture wars just because we have the best arguments. We'll gain respect by treating others as we want them to treat us. We're not going to win our neighbor for Christ just by presenting the truth. We'll win them by first loving them. In commanding us to speak the truth in love, God shows us how we are to live as mature Christians. Speaking the truth in love is part of growing up in the fullness of Christ. We need God's grace and spirit to help us in this. For by nature, we're inclined to be just as sarcastic, as judgmental, as verbally abusive as the people in the world around us. So, beloved, pray for our nation. Pray for your neighbors, for all whom God puts on your pathway in life. Pray that you may be a good influence in their lives, that God may use you to speak truth to them in love. And pray that God may use your words for their benefit, to show them his grace and love in Jesus Christ. Amen. In response to the gospel message, let's rise and sing from Psalm 40, stanzas 4, 6, and 7. <laughs> 